Redbox Media Programming is brought to you by... We've got good news. The world is open again, and people like you, people of faith, are traveling to Catholic sites around the world. Want to travel with exceptional Catholic leaders this fall, next year, or in the future? Are you looking to see specific sites, celebrate traditional Latin Mass, or travel to destinations without vaccine requirements? We are here to help you deepen your faith on pilgrimage. Give us a call at 1-800-842-4842 or visit us online at selectinternationaltours.com. Select International Tours is your pilgrimage company, and we have the perfect Catholic trip for you. Are you looking to serve God and society? Consider putting your gifts to work as a lawyer. Ave Maria School of Law has been educating faith-filled lawyers for over 20 years. Ave Maria School of Law is committed to training lawyers to use law appropriately around the moral issues of our time. Visit AveMariaLaw.edu to learn more about integrating your faith with a law degree. Welcome back to Off the Shelf here on Breadbox Media. I'm Pete Sox, your host, the Catholic book blogger. And today we have with us Gary Mashuda, who has been a popular speaker on Catholic apologetics and evangelization for more than 20 years. Through parish talks, seminars, and online classes, he has helped hundreds of Catholics better understand and explain their faith. He's the former editor of Hands-On Apologetics magazine and has written seven books, including How to Wolfproof Your Kids, Why Catholic Bibles Are Bigger, Making Sense of Mary, The Case for the Deuterocanon, and Hostile Witnesses, How the Enemies of the Church Prove Christianity. He also writes the award-winning column Behind the Bible for the Michigan Catholic Newspaper and is the host of Hands-On Apologetics on Virgin Most Powerful Radio. Gary and his wife, Christine, live in southeast Michigan with their three children, and he teaches middle and high school-level apologetics courses online for homeschool connections. Today, we'll be discussing his book, Revolt Against Reality, Fighting the Foes of Sanity and Truth from the Serpent to the State. Welcome to the show, Gary. Well, thanks for having me, Pete. I appreciate it. You're welcome. And, and I guess to start, um, we'll start in the introduction. And you touch upon this in the, in the introduction, but it, it seems that insanity has accelerated in recent years. Um, and by that, I mean what we call truth that hasn't been previously considered a truth uh, by some of us. I mean, I could walk down the street and say I'm a polka-dotted unicorn and would be applauded for my bravery. So how did we get here, <laughs> and why does it seem so extreme? Yeah, well, that, that's sort of story in and of itself. It's, it's basically, you know, St. Thomas Aquinas has a saying that a small error in the beginning leads to a large error at the end. And uh, I believe what we're experiencing right now is nothing but the, the end result of centuries of uh, a couple of errors that has uh, started, you know, in, in the ancient world and has just grown and reached its logical conclusion today. And how difficult 
was it to write this book? Just to get a little backstory to uh, the process. I mean, you're somewhat pulling the bandage off the wounds of society. And sometimes when one does that, you tend to face things you'd rather not be facing. Yeah. Well, you know, I approached it like writing a murder mystery. From what I understand, if you're going to write a murder mystery, you start off with a crime. And then once you figure that out, then you kind of go back and write the story around it. So uh, what I did was I, I I looked at the craziness and incoherence that we live in today and tried to trace back its root causes. And already, you know, in my apologetics work, I already knew that there were a few uh, streams of causes that were pretty well known and recognized. So I, I what I did was I kind of back-engineered the causes into history and uh, went as far back as I could. And ultimately, you know, it traced back to the incarnation and uh, humanity's attempt to shrink back from from that brilliant light that's shined by when God becomes man and dwells among us. And, and then I thought, you know what, uh, I must well go even further because all of these different lines of, uh, of causes, you know, that has just widened and become worse and worse over the years, Ultimately, it can be traced back to the lie of the serpent in the garden. So I thought, well, you know what? I'm just going to make a summary of, you know, human history. I begin with the garden, and uh, I quickly worked my way to the incarnation. And then from there, I, I traced the, um, you know, these revolts that occur throughout history mm-hmm. and uh, how they keep widening and widening until we reach the, the point where we are today. Right. You also point out in the uh, introduction the danger of the single-cause fallacy, and the problems we face as a society certainly are not single-faceted, are they? No, not at all. And that was one thing I wanted to try to avoid. I didn't want this to be a conspiracy theory. You know, I wanted there to be causal links. So, yeah, with every event, you know, there's always more than one cause, and there might be one or two or more primary causes. So what I did in my book was I traced the cause that had the the longest reaching effect. So kind of by working back in history, I was able to to trace those causes. So, um, yeah, so for each revolt, there might be multiple reasons, but Mm -hmm. ultimately, you know, I traced it back to that the longest lasting reason that springs all these other revolts. Right, and you break the book down into five chapters, or more than five chapters, five sections, um, each of those being on a revolt, as you mentioned, but you even fine-tune that down a little bit more into seven battlegrounds, and I think those are all very important. I like to cover those uh, battlegrounds in our time together. And the first one you look at is God and creation. Why is this such a contentious issue today? Yeah, well, in in a way, it's... Uh, it, it's, it changes the focus of how you view reality. You know, who is God? What is the relationship of God to his creation? Um, did God create us through the Word, which is his wisdom? Or was it just an unconstrained will, you know, arbitrary will of God? And how do you answer that question determines a lot. Because if you say, as historic Christianity and Catholicism teaches, that God creates through His Word, through His wisdom, then that means there's a harmony, there's, there's an intelligibility, there's a link between what God has created and Himself. So we can know things about God 
just simply by looking around and observing creation. But in history, there are people that have tried to separate God's will from his wisdom and uh, argue that, no, God, God's creation is just exercised with his power, and he can create however he wants. And uh, with the result that, ultimately, that tears the creator from his creation, and it, it, then we don't have an ability to know what God is and what God's will truly is. Mm-hmm. And ultimately, you have to go to Revelation alone or the Bible alone, and uh, you can only know that through scholars. You know, and so there's a great distance that's created between us and the Creator. So uh, that is one battleground that really affects an awful lot. Mm-hmm. It's a huge chasm that's created. Yeah. So the the second um, battleground is the human integrity and value. And as we go through each of these um, revolts and battlegrounds in the book, um, I couldn't help but think of how we, and not necessarily you and I, but we, in a a sense, as society itself, have little respect for our fellow brothers and sisters in this new digital age. How did we get here, and how do we fix that? Yeah, Yeah, that's that's the $100,000 question, isn't it? Uh Um, Yeah, with human integrity, human value, that flows from God. You know, what you believe about God affects what you believe about us in how we ought to be governed. So, it, you know, it, it kind of flows from that. And uh, you're absolutely right. I mean, um, ultimately, if God's will is this unconstrained, you know, uh, power that's not, uh, that doesn't flow from His goodness, from His nature, then the God that we, if we worship that God, then essentially we're the same. You know, we can will whatever we want. It doesn't have to be in accord with nature or truth. And uh, so what we, uh, our intellect and our wills are independent of one another. And, uh, you know, you already pointed out some of the, the crazy stuff, like if it, you will yourself to be a unicorn, pink unicorn, uh, you know, that's okay. Yeah. Because basically that's what God did. You know, it's just God arbitrarily created. It didn't have to be, there doesn't have to be a rhyme or reason. It's just his will. And uh, so, you know, when I look at human integrity, human value, not only do I look at that, I look at the relationship between body and soul, and also it affects, you know, what is human dignity? What is our value? Where does it come from? And, you know, if if God's creation is through His wisdom, then human value comes from what we are, right, as human beings. Mm-hmm. Not, and then, the, as opposed to what we do, and I think that's kind of where we are today, that human value, human dignity comes from what we do. So an unborn baby can't do much, so therefore it's not really that human, or an elderly person, or, you know, uh, that your value is attached to the things you do, just like, you know, with God, the primary emphasis is will, not what he is, goodness itself. So as we move through the book, marriage and family is the next battleground, and, and boy, is that a big one. Um, yeah. We know that the devil's target is the family unit, and in the last yeah. few decades, we've witnessed the erosion of the family with high divorce rates and the attempted redefinition of marriage uh, most recently in, in recent years. What can we do in our own little corners of the world to reverse the nonsense? Yeah, well, you know, 
what my book does, it doesn't give you suggestions on how to change the world. Rather, what mm-hmm. it does is it gives you a bird's eye perspective of how we got here. And I think that's really important because we could spend a lot of time uh, fighting for good issues, but they're they're really just the, the tip of the iceberg. They're, they're the, uh, the, the branches, right? Or, mm-hmm. or if you want to think of it as, you know, picking weeds when I was young. My, my mother would have me pick weeds, and I used to just tear the, the flowers off the dandelions, right? <laughs> but that doesn't kill the dandelions because they just grow back. And, and I think, you know, uh, it's important to kind of understand the root causes because only by addressing these root causes do you um, ultimately, you can figure out how and where, you know, society has to change, we have to change. And uh, like you said, marriage and family is that's the epicenter of um, uh, what God has done and what the devil tries to tear apart. And and in my book, actually, one cool thing that I, I loved in integrating in my book is that we fail to appreciate how much the incarnation has impacted and started all these revolutionary thoughts throughout history. Because in Roman society, for example women and children weren't considered really persons. They had no identity of themselves. Hmm. For a wife, she had no identity apart from her father or, you know, when she gets married, her husband. And children were just the property of the husband. And, uh, you know, with Christianity, that revolutionizes it. And husband and wife become, there's this complementarity, both physical and spiritual. Marriage becomes a sacrament. Children... Uh, you know, uh, raising children become the, the object of marriage. And, you know, Pete, now we've actually reached the pagan, you know, we're becoming more and more pagan where before the father could decide whether or not a child would be killed, he'd look over the child and give a thumbs up or thumbs down. Uh, today, it's like now the mother is in charge and she can give her thumbs up and thumbs down as to whether her unborn child uh, lives or dies. And so, uh, you know, I think tracing that, uh, understanding what exactly is marriage, how Christ has elevated and instituted or reaffirmed the permanency of marriage, you know, all these things um, kind of flow from just looking at this ongoing attack of marriage that actually has been going on for centuries. Mm-hmm. You take the logical next step in the book and look at the church itself. And in the book, you touch upon one of the biggest problems facing our our church um, family today, and that are the nuns. And I don't mean the habit-wearing ones. I mean the people that state they have zero affil- uh, religious affiliation or belief in a god. And we've seen an exodus of Catholics from the pews. We know from the pew study from two years ago now, I think it was, 70% of the Catholics are in the pews don't believe in the real presence. How through, as you're doing the research of this book and you're going through the history of time, um, how did we get to that point? Yeah, well, you know, ultimately, um, yeah, this really takes off with Martin Luther where he, he looks at the, his problem is he thought he discovered the, the true uh, understanding of justification, but the problem was the historic church was decidedly, it never, you know, accepted his version of that. So he has to get rid of the historic, visible society of Christians that have persisted throughout time. And he begins to um, unhook 
the historic church uh, from its historical background. And, and other reformers, too, like Zwingli and Calvin, they take it a step further, and they, they further make the church less and less incarnational, right? Sacraments become reduced down to two. Sacramentals disappear. Liturgy either disappears or changes. Statues, icons are removed. All these things are like a de-sacrament. Uh, sacramentality uh, is uh, kind of thrown out the window as well as sacred time, sacred space. Ultimately, as you trace Protestantism, the Church becomes more and more just an idea, and the, the body of Christ becomes more like the Spirit of Christ, where it's an invisible collection of like-minded believers. And by the time you get to the 1800s, especially in America, uh, the idea of church becomes uh, uh, simply a mental attitude, not like, uh, not unlike the Gnostics, uh, uh, ancient heresy um, that denied uh, that Christ had a visible body. Um, so, uh, you know, from there, uh, you know, another aspect of the whole revolt against reality is man's search for unity apart from the Incarnation. So if all Christians are are just a collection of like-minded individuals, then what unites us together? And ultimately, there ultimately really isn't much of an answer if it isn't this visible society. And so, um, you know, that's how we get the nonce, because what they do is they, uh, in Protestantism, in order to achieve unity, they, they try to scale down or reduce Christian doctrine. So would eventually get non-denominationalism. And then from non-denominationalism, you get megachurches. And then even the megachurches say, uh, you, you don't hear the gospel being preached. It's mostly just help, help, feel good about yourself type preaching. And, uh, you know, and if the, the visible, physical church, sacred space, sacred time doesn't matter, then why even go to church at all? You know, mm-hmm. why not just make your own spirituality? And, and that's really where the, non, the non-affiliated come from, and, and the spiritual, but not religious. Uh, it's just the next logical step after Luther denied the historic church. Mm. And then... Um... As we come up here to um, the final few battlegrounds, you look at community. Um, I thought that was an interesting one to include as one of the battlegrounds. Why was it important to include that um, through all these revolts? Yeah, well, you know, who God is affects uh, how we know about our, what we know about ourselves, and what we know about ourselves affects how we're governed. And so that, that affects how, what is our relationship to each other? You know, um, and again, if if God creates through wisdom, then we are all made in image and likeness of God, and there is a, a unity, especially Christian unity, that we're all united in Christ. If that disappears from uh, the public conscience, then we just what what happens is a radical individualism takes its place, and it, it just becomes to, it starts atomizing everything in society. And to the point where, say, uh, you know, community is lost. I mean, in a way, we're more technologically more connected than ever, yet there's this uh, epidemic of loneliness Mm -hmm. because we're just isolated individuals that, you know, have no close friends. And, 
Yeah, so it's just devastating effect on us as a society, uh, living together in a, as, um, you know, as nations and also as um, uh, just communities. Mm-hmm. The next one's a particularly frustrating one for uh, some of us, I would gander to say today, and that's the role of government. And that actually could be two things, the more I think about it. It could be our secular government, and it could be the infrastructure of the church itself. Um, You know, we have mandates being pushed down from on high upon us at every level, Um, as you did look through back through the history of the church, what has the church had to say about all of this? And is there a time where we can justly say enough's enough? Yeah, yeah. It's, yeah, it's, it's a, what do I say? I don't want to say sad, but it's definitely a bit depressing when you look at or trace the trajectory of Mm -hmm. how things have happened. Um, Ultimately, the church always functioned as a cap to government authority. And that's where a lot of the conflicts throughout church history come from, because the king or the governor can't do anything he wants with his citizens. He has to obey a higher law, which is God's law. And so uh, the the church and state always worked hand-in-hand, or at least tried to, and there was always friction. Rulers want don't want to be constrained. They want to govern however they want, and uh, but the church always tried to function as a capping authority. And when you get to the, the time of the Enlightenment, um, you start having uh, secular states coming in and pushing the, the church away. And so the, the capping authority, the spiritual sword that the church used to be able to use to try to um, you know, constrain the government is gone. And uh, by the time you get to the early 1900s, we start having these totalistic governments, you know, Nazi Germany, uh, communist Russia, China, um, uh, you know, all these groups uh, where they're totalistic, because since there's no God, there's no higher authority, there's nothing to constrain the power of government. And uh, when we went through that devastation of the two world wars, and actually some of these groups are still around today. And uh, I think what's happening is, and Pete, this is something else that we have to keep in mind, you know, the brilliance of the Incarnation and the Catholic Church that built Western civilization causes this cultural momentum that carries us through. So you, you can get rid of God, you can make a secular state, and things will seem to run okay for a while, mm-hmm. because people still have that Christian-Catholic worldview. But once the momentum begins to wane, that's when things start falling apart. And I think, like here in the, you know, in the West and the United States, um, that's what we experience is, you know, government seems to be working well, things are, are capped and kept in, you know, proper power and proportion. But now society, you know, the Christian momentum's no longer there. It's starting to go. And so what you're having is government is now filling in, you know, reaching beyond the limits because the citizens no longer have that worldview that stops them. And... Lastly, you look at human knowledge, and this one to me is a big one. Um, it's very interesting, and it goes back to the old saying, those who fail to know history are doomed to repeat it. 
So in light of the book that you've written, how important is it for us to understand these revolts you outline in revolt in the book and how do we effectively apply them to our own window of time today? Yeah, well, it's incredibly important because uh, what I think is that cult, that Catholic Christian cultural momentum is going, if not is already gone from society, and uh, you need to know the genius of Christ and His Church and uh, know what to hold on to, because uh, I, I think in many ways what we're looking at is a systemic collapse in civilization here in the West. And I think it's especially cute here in America, because unlike Europe, there wasn't a Catholic period before Protestantism came on the scene. Uh, you know, our experience in the United States largely through um, through Protestant England, right? So it, it, it just jumped to Protestantism. And I think that makes the effect even more acute in our area as opposed to other areas of the world. So it, it's incredibly important for us to know where we came from, who we are, and also to understand the root causes of why things are so incoherent and, quite frankly, insane today. Mm. Gary, great book. Where can people find Revolt Against Reality? Yeah, you can get that on Amazon.com, or you can get it directly from Catholic Answers at shop.catholic.com. Gary, that's all we have time for today. I want to thank you for taking time out of your schedule and spending with us. Any closing thoughts? Um, well, one closing thought is just remember we're on the winning side because we worship the God who has created reality here, his reality as well. And, and there's no other alternative. There's no other human town besides reality. Amen. And with that, you can listen to Off the Shelf here on Redbox Media. I'm your host, Keith Sox, Catholic Book Blogger. Until next time, God bless. This is Kevin O'Brien of EWTN's Theater of the Word. I'm excited also to teach middle school and high school literature, speech, and drama with homeschoolconnections.com, an online Catholic curriculum provider. Your student can meet with me online for a live, interactive class. Whether you take apologetics with John Martinoni or grade school with Jackie De La Viaga, or any of the other 400-plus courses with homeschoolconnections.com, online Catholic learning for your homeschooling family is available for you.